Live from the Thomas and Mac, it's Cofield and Company. No one, and I mean no one, is going to outwork this guy. The man has unstoppable energy. Steve Cofield. We like Steve. <laughs> but we don't love Steve. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. And we know it because we feel it in our bones. All right, here we go. Friday, 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 Friday. Adam Candy's here. Steve Cofield, Thomas and Mac, Mountain West Conference semifinals. The quarters were awesome. A lot of energy, a lot of close games. We'll get into what happened in the men's tournament in just a couple of minutes. We've got big news going down with the Raiders. We've got big news around the NFL with another elite quarterback seemingly available to be added to someone's roster. So that's all coming up. Let's get to it. It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Candy, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. There's so much truth out there today. I feel good about the world. I feel like everything that we need to know about what is right and what is wrong and what is real and what is fake, it's all out there today, Steve. I feel great. I'm excited. Yes. Um, right now, what is true, what is not fake, is VGK is not very good. Golden Knights lose again to another bad team in Buffalo, and Jack Eichel had some jokes after the game, so we'll get to that in about 15 minutes. Uh, yesterday was a big day in the AFC West, which had Raiders fans all freaking out because Khalil Mack is back in the division with the Chargers, and you just heard uh, repeatedly from Raiders fans, like, when are we going to do something? What's going on? When do we make some moves? Well, it looks like uh, Max Crosby is now in the fold. Long-term deal, four-year extension, $95 million, $53 million guaranteed. He is now the uh, third. No, I'm sorry. He is uh, now amongst. He's not number three, but he's amongst the highest-paid defensive players in NFL history. So good job by the Raiders. We'll break that down a little later on. But, Candy, let's get right to it. Uh, UNLV basketball on the men's side is out of the Mountain West Conference tournament. That has happened uh, early and often now, going back to, what, the uh, 2013 tournament. It's frustrating. The season is probably over, and it shouldn't be over, not only with the loss last night to Wyoming, but they should be expecting a bid to the NIT. Had they beaten New Mexico this last weekend or, you know, didn't, lose a game on the road to Air Force, and last night was extremely frustrating. And while the market, for the most part, all likes Kevin Kruger and this team and this group and Bryce Hamilton, Candy, it doesn't mean that they're beyond some criticism with the way things went down last night. 56-52, they fought back into the game. Now, why do they have to fight back in? They had a really bad first 12 minutes, but they had the lead with two minutes left, they couldn't make shots down the stretch. And, frankly, at different points in the game, they probably got out-strategized. I said a week ago that I don't really care what happens the rest of this year. I think year one is a net positive for Kevin Kruger. Last night is a clear negative for him. Uh, 
that was really hard to watch over the last three minutes for UNLV. They give up the final seven points of the game after it looked like all of the momentum was going their way at the end. And you really get back to that last possession for the Rebels where, look, Wyoming knew what Bryce Hamilton wanted to do, and they blitzed him near midcourt, and they didn't let him do anything. And if your game is going to come down to whether Keyshawn Gilbert can make a three-pointer, whether your season comes down to it, that's not a good setup by UNLV. You have to anticipate what was going to happen there on that possession for Wyoming, and what ends up happening for UNLV is that they give up seven consecutive points, none for them over the last two minutes, and here we are at the end of the season with a game that was completely winnable. Good season for the Rebels, top to bottom, but man, that is a sour taste to end your season with last night. 56-52, 205 left. Here's some of the uh, CBS calls down the stretch before we get to the biggest calls. Well, Donovan Williams, these are the two guys that are getting it done in a big way. Tough shot. Won't go for Williams and the rebound to Wyoming. EK puts it up. Too strong. And the rebound grab by Gilbert. I just think all that bumping has got to be called. Hamilton puts one up. Won't go. Rebound EK. Maldonado, cross-court pass. Wenzel swings it to Ducell. It's good! Wyoming by one! And before that, the Rebels had multiple open shots. Now, Donovan Williams did a great job of getting him into the lead at 56-52, but in the final four minutes, Keyshawn Gilbert had another three that he missed. Justin Webster missed a shot. You heard the Donovan Williams shot. That was a little early in the shot clock from about 17 feet. Contested. Uh, Bryce Hamilton missed a runner. You heard EK getting bumped around there. I mean, they did a the, – the other shame of it is they did an awesome job defensively on EK, who by my count got like 27 post feeds and really did nothing on the block and was so beaten up and tired at the end of the game. He was just throwing the ball over the rim. They limited Maldonado in the post. I mean, they held both guys to 11 points apiece, but Ducell hits the three there and – now the Rebels are down, and now it's time to draw up some sort of play. And as Candy described, uh, you know, Jeff Linder, come hell or high water, was not going to allow Bryce Hamilton to get off a potential game-winning shot. And uh, here's the call from John Sandler and Learfield. Over to Webster. Left side, Keyshawn. Open for a three. It's no good. Rebound, Maldonado. Maldonado with four seconds, and the Rebels foul, and that may do it. And here's the final call of the game. As the Rebels did have one more chance, but it was with just a couple of seconds left, and they actually ran a pretty nice play, and Bryce Hamilton got off a, a crazy runner from three. Ball comes into Williams. Williams up ahead to Hamilton. Hamilton front court. <laughs> Hamilton puts it off the glass. How do you, no good. And they were pushed from behind, and no call. Bryce was pushed from behind, and no call, and the Rebels lose it 59-56. to Oh, Mount Sandler. The foul that was committed was Wyoming trying to take a foul before the shot. He should be happy it wasn't called. That's the only way Bryce Hamilton gets that ball in the air in the first place. Otherwise, Wyoming with Jeff Linder actually runs a really smart strategy to try to take a foul up by three. Stop it. Come on. Look, a lot went wrong for the Rebels down the stretch, but that's not one of the things that went wrong for UNLV. So 
Bryce Hamilton got a great look. I'll give Kevin Kruger and his staff credit. That was a really pretty play that they ran to get Bryce Hamilton that look. But, again, let's go back to what you said earlier, Cofield, because I think one of the two things that I said had to happen for UNLV happened, and the other didn't. They had to get the same whistle they had gotten a week earlier against Wyoming in which the refs swallowed the Fox 40 and didn't call anything in the post. And that's exactly what happened. They let EK take all the contact in the world. Rebels took advantage of it. Hey, that's the way the game goes. That's one of the two things that had to happen. But the other thing I said had to happen was that when you take the ball out of Bryce Hamilton's hands, other players, and that's with an S, players need to make shots. So Donovan Williams got back to early season Donovan Williams and gave you 20 points in that game. So what'd you get? 22 out of Hamilton, 20 out of Williams, and 14 from the rest of the roster, including Keyshawn Gilbert and Justin Webster, combining to go 0 for 11, and the Rebels going 3 for 21 from 3 as a team. The game was right there for UNLV to take, and they just couldn't get over the hump. Post game, here's Tyler Bischoff from uh, our morning show, the Press Box on ESPN Las Vegas, asking about the second to last opportunity there, and if uh, Keyshawn's the guy you want on the floor taking that shot. Were you expecting them to change and sort of blitz Bryce out of that, and was there any consideration on your part to have somebody that's uh, shot more threes than Keyshawn in the game in the corner there? Well, we were, we were ready for a lot of things. We, we talked about it, and uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's not that simple. You know, when you got guys trapping you to, to get exactly everything uh, on the dot that you want. So you got head tilted. I mean, the question was, should Gilbert be on the floor? Which wasn't answered, and I don't expect Kevin Kruger to answer that question because he's not going to come down on a freshman that way. That being said, you can't answer the beginning of the question by saying we were prepared for a lot of things and then say, well, we just couldn't get everything we wanted. No. If you're prepared for a lot of things, you're prepared for the fact that the best player on the floor is going to have the ball taken out of his hands and that the guy who's going to end up open off the second pass needs to be able to make a shot. And you had a guy who made seven three-pointers all year long as the guy taking the shot. So that's a failure by Kevin Kruger. He needs to own up to it and not duck the question. Yeah, I think the, the other way to answer without coming down on Keyshawn Gilbert would have also been coming down on others, and he could have stared at the media and said, did you want Jordan McCabe or Mike Nuga out there? Right? In that game? Maybe not, considering you didn't get much of a performance from either one of them last night. Here's Mike Romala talking more about Gilbert uh, having to take that big shot. For the ball to end up in, in Keyshawn's hands on that play, uh, I thought he played well today. The shot didn't go in. That's a tough spot for him. What do you say to him you know, after the game, if he's you know, taking it hard, I assume? What do you say to him? Same thing we say to all of them. Keep your head up. You know, proud of you. I mean, it's a battle back, fight. How many times does he dive on the floor? I mean, how many times does he get a huge stop? He's guarding a player as good as Maldonado. Um, he's in there rebounding with guys like EK and, and Royce and those guys. The ball ended up in his hands, and he didn't hesitate, and we'll take that. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. This is the most loudest I've heard this place ever. <laughs> really? After, after uh, it only took seven years of me leaving for them to uh, get into the game. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Matt. That was Jack Nicole making some funnies after the game as VGK uh, back on the ice in about 45 minutes here. Yesterday did not go well. And kind of a similar story to... Uh, 
what's happened in recent weeks, playing bad teams and not winning. 3-1 to one yesterday, Eichel with the homecoming to Buffalo. Tonight, a good team in Pittsburgh. I don't believe the Knights are as bad as they've looked against these bad teams. I think they'll rise up and play competitively tonight. I just bet on the Knights. Will I regret that? Mike McKenna, of course, was a VGK analyst. Now he's hosting the Daily Faceoff with uh, Frank Saravelli, one of the best insiders in all of hockey. You can find him up on Twitter, at Daily Faceoff. Mike, how you doing? It's uh, Steve and uh, Adam Candy here. Doing great. It's good to hear your voice. Uh, I'm joining you from St. Louis. Unfortunately, it feels like too far away. I wish I was in Vegas to do this in person, but uh, I appreciate you guys having me on to still talk some Vegas hockey. Obviously, one of the teams that I definitely keep my eye on at a really close uh, range because it's having covered them the past two years. Why not? Right. So right. Uh, hopefully they have a little bit better game this evening than they did last night in Buffalo. What exactly is happening in recent weeks? And is it enough to just chalk it up as, Hey, they're just beat up. Well, they're missing players, but they're also not playing very well. And I just can't stand hearing the same excuses after the game that we've heard for two and a half years with the Vegas golden Knights that, well, we're just not, we're, we're a little snake bit. We just can't score. We ran into a hot goalie. We've got to get a greasy one. No one's going to feel sorry for us. It's like the bingo bo- bingo card full of excuses, you know, and, and it's not in the way that you're complaining, but it's like this has been the same thing for two years now. Like the power play hasn't been good enough. They've been on the perimeter. They haven't fought to get to the inside. Uh, I thought that the Golden Knights were really good for 10 minutes last night in the second period, but that was about it. And at some point, that's got to change. Somebody's going to have to be able to get this team going. And when you don't have the bodies in the lineup that are paid the big bucks to do so, when you spend all your money on top-end players and you don't have much of a middle class, this these are the problems that can be exasperated when they are not in the lineup, the top players. Mike, as we watch the Golden Knights struggle to score right now, I think you, you obviously look at both ends of the ice, right? You, you look at their inability to finish, and then you look at the other ends that, of course, is your expertise with goaltending and say, are they getting what they need right now? Um, Gary Lawless said on the VGK postgame he thought Robin Leonard would want both of the goals back uh, that, uh, that were allowed in, in the Philadelphia game. Uh, what, what do you think is the situation right now? Robin Leonard obviously has injuries that he's dealing with. Laurent Passois is trying to hold up. But do, do you feel like the VGK is getting what they need in net? And if so, you know, do you think that there's any need for them to make a trade? Well, I'll give you this little insider tidbit. Every single goal that a goalie allows, we want to have. <laughs> that one was okay. And so the key to that for me is describing why we would want to have that goal back. And I took a lot of pride in that. Um, so watching those Glenner has been quick to his knees. He hasn't been able to recover and rotate very well. And that's more symptomatic of the entire season. My biggest concern isn't necessarily with the quality of goaltending that they've gotten from Robin Leonard. I thought he's, I think he's played good this year. I don't think he's been great. And I don't think he's played at the highest level you've seen and largely because of injuries. He hasn't had a chance to play consecutive games at a long period of time uh, over the course of, you know, two, three weeks. So, Robin Leonard has an upper body injury that keeps him out for three weeks. Now he has a lower body injury that keeps him out. Where is the concern moving forward, whether he will even be healthy for the regular season, much less playoffs, and if he is, in what shape he's in? I think that's a real concern. You just don't know. Brassois has been okay. 
I, I, at times I think that he's pretty easy to pick apart for other teams. They know that the scouting report is he's down quickly. He exposes high. He doesn't necessarily always stay square, especially blocker side. So I think it's going to be a tough week and a half here for GM Kelly McCrimmon to decide, are they willing to run potentially with Laurent Brossois and Logan Thompson as their goaltenders if Leonard isn't available, or are they willing to gut it out with a potentially hurt Leonard playing through it and Brossois? I think that the Golden Knights are probably right now scouring to see if there's anybody available in the goalie market that could fit within their cap structure, but I'm not sure if they'll be able to find anyone that could fill that void. Mike McKenna joining us here on Cofield and Company talking Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, your colleague, Frank Saravalli, was the first to report that there was interest in a Marc-Andre Fleury reunion with VGK. Uh, we obviously know that there were some hurt feelings at the end of that situation, but could you see that happening with Fleury going back to Vegas? No chance. Not at all. I think that that was a one-way conversation. I think that uh, it was as simple as a question of, would Marc-Andre be available? And that would be posed to the Chicago Blackhawks. And and here's the thing. None of us, I, I always stand by my colleagues reporting. He is absolutely airtight when it comes to these types of things, Frank is. But if you're GM Kelly McCrimmon and you think you potentially have a goalie who may be hurt or may be out a significant amount of time and it's your starting goaltender, he would not be doing his job if he didn't ask around the league because the best available goalie as a free agent right now is Marc-Andre Fleury. So you have to have that exploratory either conversation or question, and it can be shot down immediately, which appears that it was. But you got to ask those questions because you just never know. And so I don't see it happening. I would be shocked if it did. Um, but it was also pretty jarring to have it even brought up that that had taken place, considering all the fallout. I mean, it was pretty unceremonious way for the face of this of the franchise even of the city of vegas at times to leave town and you know, i don't think there's a whole lot of love lost there no it certainly hasn't sounded like it from mark andre Fleury or from alan walsh uh, with everything that went down uh, kelly mccrimmon obviously was quick to speak up and say that that was not something that he was interested in so you look at what the golden knights can and can't do you mentioned the cap situation that they're in right now with the trade deadline less than a week away uh, how do you approach this, Mike? Do, do you look at it and say, well, we know we're not going to get Mark Stone back until closer to the playoffs, and that's our big addition? Or is there more urgency than that right now? Because I look at this Golden Knights team, and even though I see that some of the predictive models say they still have what, a 75-80% chance to make the playoffs, mm -hmm. there's plenty of reason for concern when there are teams only two points behind them in the wild card race. There is, for sure. And the, the saving grace here for the Golden Knights that I really feel is that they do have a very, let's say, easy schedule from here on out. They're playing a lot of teams that are not in the playoffs, teams in the Pacific Division. But you have to be wary of them. And I think that the Golden Knights at this stage right now are at the most perilous moment of, this, of the organization's franchise, not just for being successful in playoffs, but even making playoffs. And that doesn't seem like a phrase that we should even be talking about with the way this roster has been constructed. But the team's just been crushed with injuries this year, and they haven't been able to get their mojo going when they've been close to healthy. So can they make moves? What is the long-term IR usage going to look like towards a trade deadline? Will Alec Martinez be back? Is Riley Smith somebody who could be a candidate to go on long-term IR? 
I think there's so many different balls in the air potentially with the Golden Knights in terms of the salary cap that it's impossible to predict what they may have available uh, in terms of space. I'm sure they would love to add, given how they've acted previously at the trade deadline. It's always been go for it. It's always try to find that piece that can get us over the edge to get us to the Stanley Cup final. I'm just not sure in this year with this many injuries and this much in flux right now that it's going to be possible. I would have to think that if the Golden Knights make a deal, it would be somebody for somebody with a lower end contract. Uh, it certainly wouldn't be anybody over the four to five million dollar range. I'd be surprised by that if something were to happen. Mike, I'll let you go on this because I want to seize on what you just said about a perilous moment in the franchise. We saw very clearly at the beginning of this season the fans were not coming out to T-Mobile Arena the way they had in the first few years for this team, and attendance has been a struggle throughout the year. And it feels to me like this fan base, if you don't go for it in some way at the trade deadline, this fan base is kind of on the brink also because they've gotten very used to, we go for it. We go and try to win the Stanley Cup because that's what they got used to in year one. And, hey, that's a great place to be in for an expansion franchise. But with what you see right now, can this team win the Stanley Cup? Because right now, I worry that they could get out of the first round. Yeah, that's what I'm concerned with. I, I don't think this team in this stage can win the Stanley Cup. And the reason being is that they haven't had a full roster all year. It's just been consistently waiting for, oh, wait till we're healthy, wait till we're healthy. Well, I mean, Max Pacioretty is all banged up. He didn't look like he was in a great deal of comfort last game. Jack Eichel's he's just now back and finding a stride. Uh, he, Riley Smith is out. Mark Stone is out. Alec Martinez is out. Robin Leonard is out. I mean, like, there's a whole lot to go and to expect the team to suddenly find chemistry, even if everybody's healthy right before the playoffs or at the start of playoffs. That's not easy to do, especially in a conference like the West, where you've got Calgary, whose Moa is just crushing people. They're 13-1-1 in their last 15 games. Colorado's a wagon. LA's playing well. There's really teams to worry about out West. Then you'd have to still get through St. Louis or Minnesota. That's a very tall task for a team that has not played together, that's had pretty seismic shifts in its lineup this year with Eichel coming in, Dodonov, other people. This is not the same Golden Knights team. Even the Misfit line's been broken up lately because there's been injuries. So um, for the fan base, I know how it goes. Like It was tough seeing those empty seats at the start of the year, and I think it was directly related to Marc-Andre Fleury's departure. Um, it's been nice to see some people back into the seats. But, boy, I don't want to be the bringer of bad news, but I don't have a huge amount of optimism with this club in playoffs. I really, at this point, am starting to fear of a first-round flameout, if anything. Anything beyond the first round, I think, would be successful at the point that they're at this year. Mike, before I get you out of here, we appreciate the time. Tell people about the uh, Daily Faceoff. Well, dailyfaceoff.com. We're constantly producing content. I'm writing... Well, 10 articles a week, three a week long form. I've got a daily goalie matchup. Uh, we do a, a streaming live show every day on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook at Daily Faceoff's uh, Twitter feed. I'm on there twice a week. And uh, also do a podcast with the suitcase and the scribe with Scott Burnside, a longtime NHL writer. So plenty of things going on from in my world and plenty of things at Daily Faceoff, comprehensive coverage of the NHL. Good stuff. Glad you're doing well. Thanks for coming on. Anytime. Thanks for having me. There he is, Mike McKenna former uh, part of the VGK broadcast team, and as you heard, now working with uh, Daily Faceoff. Uh, remember, we will have – will we? 
if they make the playoffs, a bracket contest for the NHL playoffs. We've done that every year, but if we don't, you can get in the bracket contest now for the NCAA tournament. Check that Sunday because the brackets have to come out. But on Sunday through Thursday next week, you got to be in before the games tip on Thursday. Uh, you won't have to get in on the uh, Tuesday and Wednesday playing games, but it's lvsportsnetwork.com. We've got a contest that is free, free, free. It's our March Mania Bracket Challenge. It's sponsored by Finley Honda, iHeart Mac and Cheese, Sahara Las Vegas, and DeCastro Verde Law Group. Uh, grand prize, all of this worth in excess of 1500 bucks. Staycation at the Sahara Hotel Casino. That includes dinner for two and a two-night stay. Free meals for a year from iHeart Mac and Cheese. Uh, two tickets to an upcoming VGK game and a Golden Knights player signed jersey. And we'll be throwing cash in as well. It's free. Check out the brackets when they're released on Sunday, lvsportsnetwork.com. Get in our March Mania Bracket Challenge. It is free with a grand prize worth over 1500 bucks. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Coach, for whatever reason, and it, it spans now four or five coaching staffs, the team has been not able to get to Friday of the tournament on its home floor. How do you get past that? I mean, how difficult is that? Losing is difficult. I mean, anytime you lose, it's difficult. Uh, we just get better. We just we just keep working and stay after it. Uh, again, if if we can have the fight and the starting point from where we finished right now, and that group that's coming back to to kind of use that and uh, use that feeling, you know, we can carry that over into the summer workouts and on into the fall and into next season. But they earned a buy. This is a four bid league. We finished fifth. This is not an easy tournament to advance in. It's an unbelievable strong and good conference and but uh we've we've just got to get better Cofield and, Cofield and company brass tax he's right that was kevin krueger after the loss yesterday rebels fall short of making the semifinals as a program again uh 2014 they made the semis that was the 2013-14 season uh, but they made the semifinals lost in a grinder familiar right Uh, against san diego state 59 to 51 but it's been quarterfinals or first round and out and rebels fans candy by the way that was john treach asking a question from uh aid news now rebels fans have a right to be frustrated because when and this is not all on kevin krueger and this current group but it's the cumulative effect of changes in the past right Got down the wrong path. We don't have to regurgitate all of it, but with Dave Rice being fired before the end of the season and then the coaching search being botched slash screwed, you know, with trying to hire certain people and messing with the wrong people, and then it's been tough to recover. But that said, Jeff Linder's been at Wyoming for two years. They're going to make the tournament. Boise's good every year. San Diego State candy. Just made the semifinals for the 15th straight season. I don't know how you can look at anybody but Steve Fisher as the all-time dean of Mountain West basketball coaches because he handed that program to Brian Dutcher, and Brian Dutcher has run with it. I mean, maybe they're not San Diego State of Kawhi Leonard days, but they are still the consistent model of success for this conference, and you can't look at it any other way. UNLV used to have that mantle before the Mountain West days. It was the standard bearer. 
That is San Diego State now. Let's get back to Wyoming, though. Hmm. Okay, so they hold on yesterday in a game that I think you and I would both agree. They lose that game to UNLV yesterday, I think they're out. I think they're off the bubble. I think they're out of the tournament, barring any other weird happenings in other conference tournaments. I'm not sure that if I'm the committee, I look at the way Wyoming is finishing, which we know they do. We know they look at that last 10. I don't know that you can look at the way Wyoming's finishing and feel like they're in for sure. I think they have to win today. I think they, of the four Mountain West teams, even though Joe Lunardi has all four of them in bracketology right now, he's got Wyoming having to play in the first four. You're looking at a team that is in the mid-50s in Ken Palm. That's number 44 in the net rating. And that is literally the definition of bubble. Uh Wyoming can make noise if they get there, but I think Wyoming has to win today to be guaranteed a spot. Yeah, I saw Wyoming play twice up close. I saw SMU play once up close. SMU is better than Wyoming. And SMU right now, according to Lenardi, is the first four out. Um, I wouldn't quibble either way, but I I agree with you. Uh, It would help them secure the bid. I mean, the Mountain West Conference and most of the media folks who are kind of fist pumpers for the conference – which I don't, I don't know, I don't get. Um, you know, they're, they're, last night they were locked in with, hey, Wyoming's got four teams. I'm sorry, sorry, Mountain West has four teams. But Wyoming with a net of 44? And like you said, the end of the season does count. Yeah, I don't think they're a lock, and they better be focused tonight. And the matchups tonight start at 6.30. And the numbers right now... You've got Boise and Wyoming. Boise's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. You've got San Diego State against Colorado State, two. Yeah, I'm not completely sold on Wyoming. Because I don't know that this is a great Rebel team, and the Rebels took them to the brink. Um, and the Rebels actually, in a lot of ways, the Rebels kind of showed how to defend EK. Like you said earlier, if physicality is allowed, he can try to bang his way, you know, as much as he wants down low. But if you have a couple of good, you know, true big defenders, and the entire Boise team is gigantic, and Armouche is a, just a big guy, and he looks like he's forty-three years old at six-nine and two-fifty. If you're allowed to play against EK, he's a tremendous player, but there's only so much he can do. And he got tired last night. He got tired, and um, Maldonado won't be quite the matchup for the rest of the teams in the field like he is for the Rebels, because the Rebels have so many small guards. And while Donovan Williams is long, he's you know he weighs 180 pounds. He's still giving away about you know 30 pounds to a guy like Maldonado. So I would be surprised if Wyoming um, wins the tournament. I, w- I will throw this in, though. San Diego State had a really good crowd last night. There will be more people coming from San Diego because it's a short drive. But I, outside of the Thomas and Mack, if – if they wanted to double this weekend as a dually diesel convention weekend, my God, so many people drove down from Wyoming. And that crowd, I would say, was probably 4-1 to one in favor of Wyoming. There were so many Cowboys fans in the building, and they were loud. And while Boise, I think, has traveled, this game tonight is going to be a home court advantage for Wyoming, and my guess is the San Diego State fans who arrive early will probably be rooting for Wyoming as well. Let me tell you something, Steve. I have heard for the last time 
that I will let go unchallenged that UNLV has a home court advantage playing in the Thomas and Mac in the Mountain West tournament. That is a load of crap in 2022 because Wyoming made that their home court last night. I watched it with women's basketball for years with both Wyoming and New Mexico. New Mexico calls it the Pit West. You have fans from all of these other schools who show up. And you know what, UNLV fans, if you let that become someone else's home court, that's on you. Two tickets up for grabs right now with Ari, 364-1100, March 19th. Chris Daughtry is in town, Theater, Virgin Hotel, Las Vegas. Dearly beloved tour, caller 7364-1100. Two tickets to go see Daughtry. Uh, AXS.com is where you can get your own tickets, but the show is Saturday, March 19th. Theater, Virgin Hotel, Las Vegas. Daughtry, 364-1100. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. You've got to get owners to sign off, owners' wives to sign off, owners' kids to sign off. It's a lot of people that got to make this decision on why you're bringing this individual into the community. And I don't know that there's a number of owners out there comfortable, willing to make that decision. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Mack. I like the fact that uh, Keyshawn believes that owners actually follow some moral code come on on Deshaun Watson uh what I mean the Cowboys don't need a quarterback but Jerry Jones would have to give the okay uh Dan Snyder would have to give the okay which you know I I don't think anyone who's decent is ever going to go play quarterback for Dan Snyder and we just saw Carson Wentz make that decision what the Steelers would raise a stink over Deshaun Watson after they just had Big Ben huh So, breaking news, Deshaun Watson could be available now because the grand jury elected not to move forward with charges. Xavier Pope is our legal insider, and he gives us a couple minutes here on a Friday. We were off yesterday with all the tournament stuff. Xavier, how you doing, buddy? Xavier! There he is. What's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? We're good. We're good. All right. Give me your reaction to uh, what happened today with Deshaun Watson and the grand jury and explain the grand jury in general uh, to folks out there who are not familiar with the process. Yeah, well, grand juries are uh, set up not required to have a unanimous decision, uh, and they are set up to uh, make recommendations uh, for charges uh, on criminal complaints. Sometimes the grand jury process may differ from state to state. Uh, but um, it was nine charges. And after hearing a testimony uh, from uh, eight of the, uh, the alleged victims who were represented by uh, the same individual that's bringing up the, uh, the same lawyer who's bringing up the civil complaint and one other individual decided not to recommend charges to uh, to 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 criminally indict Deshaun Watson, I, I, this comes with no surprise to me, and it it probably should come as no surprise to anyone else. Just the su- strange nature of how the NFL acted with Deshaun Watson. You know, he, if people don't remember this or don't know, Deshaun Watson was never put on the commissioner's exempt list, which seems strange considering a sexual assault allegation. And the league's fact-finder investigation of 
complaints like this, although they've been inconsistent on a variety of, of, of issues, but 22 people, 22 women, potentially nine charges is a significant event. And the fact that he was never placed on the commissioner's exempt list and basically agreed with the team to stay away uh, and still get paid um, because the league couldn't really find a major violation that occurred. Really mean, and I talked about this on the show, uh, strange sign that maybe Deshaun Watson wouldn't be facing any sort of uh, criminal liability for uh, his alleged actions. And so that's the process. And they never got to a charge, never got to a trial, but there are still 22 civil complaints that still are outstanding versus Deshaun Watson. He's, uh, he said he's going to vigorously fight those claims. But those, it's made those claims significantly weaker, although they have a larger standard of, uh, sorry, a lower burden of proof in terms of reasonable doubt versus preponderance of the evidence. Using the information from the criminal trial could have helped those cases. It makes them weaker today. Hey, Xavier, we're going to put you on hold and uh, have you jump on the phone because we're having trouble with your microphone. Um, and when Xavier's back with us, Candy, I want you to address this. Are we supposed to feel good for Deshaun Watson today? Deshaun Watson wants you to feel good for Deshaun Watson. Uh, he's been very quiet about all of this until today when he decided not only to speak at a press conference but to tweet out as well that the truth is finally out there, that he's thankful to his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that – the truth has finally come out. And as Xavier just described, a grand jury indicting or not indicting has nothing to do with the truth coming out or not coming out. Right. It is a standard of criminal proof versus was this true or not. There are still 22 civil allegations against Deshaun Watson. And he acknowledged that when he spoke today. But there is some deep, deep reporting that has been done out there by journalists like Jenny Frentas from uh, from SI who have been very clear about the fact that there is merit to these allegations. I'm not saying that it means that he did anything, but to look at this process and just say from this process that the truth came out the way Deshaun Watson did is jumping way ahead. And, and uh, don't mistake what I was saying coming in with my little whataboutism stuff with Deshaun Watson and owners and, and creepy quarterbacks around the league. There, there are going to be some questions that need to be answered by Deshaun Watson before he's brought into the fold by a new organization. Xavier Pope is back with us. So, Xavier, I was just asking Adam Candy, my co-host, a question. Are we supposed to feel good for Deshaun Watson today? I don't think so. It's International Women's Month. It's Women's Month. And so uh, women are claiming that they were sexually assaulted by Deshaun Watson. And I think some have to be sensitive to um, the way other women who have been victims of sexual assault, whether connected to uh, any players or not. And so I think that's, that's, that's the first thing. Um, and the trauma that is visited upon them to tell their stories and come forward when things like this happen and, and they're, not, they're not resolved. And so I think that's the first thing. So uh, the second thing is Deshaun Watson put himself in a position to have this happen. So he has to rebuild his reputation. Even he talked about rebuilding his reputation and character. But I think the bigger issue is who is this guy, Tony Buzzi? And why was why he is the center of this and why is he considered an individual that the NFL nor any of the prosecutors really trusted in this matter to be able to bring these cases. I think that's probably the one of the bigger questions as to why the NFL didn't put Sean Watson in the commission's exempt list. Decided to let it all play out. It just was a strange set of circumstances, and it just really speaks to 
was it really about the claims themselves or was it what the individual that, that amassed the people, um, the women that would have brought these claims, um, well, the, civil, the 22 civil claims and also the nine women who were part of the, the nine criminal tra- charges that were potentially offered up to the grand jury to make a decision on. Xavier, we know that Ben Roethlisberger was never charged criminally. We know that Ezekiel Elliott was never charged criminally. Both of them ended up with six-game suspensions from the NFL. But, of course, these have been inconsistent adjudications from Roger Goodell over the years. Do you think we should have any confidence that Deshaun Watson will still see some level of discipline from the league? I don't see any confidence at all. The NFL has been pretty mum about it. And really, they are investigating it further. But, you know, there's still a long time before football gets played again for to work through what happens with the civil complaint moving forward. What trust do those uh, the, the individuals that have you know, put their faith in the lawyer that has been bringing everyone together to be able to do it? And, and whether this is taxing for them to continue. I, I think there are so many different moving parts to this that uh, the NFL can, can, can just let it play out like they have been before. Uh, meanwhile, their teams have immediate needs for a quarterback and then after football league, and it looks like now the price, the price of brick has gone up for Deshaun Watson, and he's probably going to be playing, and he's going to be probably playing for another team in the 2022 NFL season. And to that end, Xavier, there are actually odds up at some legal U.S. sports books about where Deshaun Watson will play next. The favorites are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, three to one. The Steelers, uh, who we just mentioned, uh, are the next favorites. Then the Saints, Vikings, staying with the Texans, Panthers, Seahawks, Dolphins, Raiders, and the Lions as well. Uh, is there anybody on that list that you think is is you know a franchise that by its history absolutely would? take Deshaun Watson or anybody who absolutely would not take Deshaun Watson? I immediately thought about the Carolina Panthers. That team is, is just needs a good quarterback to get that team into the playoffs. Um, they're poised, poised to success. Um, and so I think that that probably is the best destination for him. Who have a, uh, They've already had Cam Newton, a black quarterback for that team. They also uh, previously had Teddy Bridgewater playing for that team. So that seems to be a logical fit terms of the, the attention to diversity, maybe um, getting a black quarterback in, in Pittsburgh may be there, but you also have the big fan issues like you all have already discussed. I brought up the New York Jets, which a lot of people said, okay, well, they've they spent a, a, a lot to get to a high pick in Zach Wilson, but how sold is that team on Zach Wilson? Uh, I think that that's going to be uh, a dark horse, as well as the Minnesota Vikings and, and where, they, where they go with their franchise moving forward. Xavier Pope is with us, attorney out of Chicago, uh, joining us here on this Friday. Uh, Xavier, I know you're following what's going on with Brittany Griner. These are very complicated situations. It's not like any sort of uh, U.S. law applies to what the hell's going on in Russia. What's your take on what's happening and the likelihood of you know the, that she's coming back soon? I don't. Have, I have just as much confidence as the United States government, who have expressed that it may be extremely difficult given the strained diplomatic tensions between Russia and the United States, given the Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and also the increasingly wide and expanding sanctions that have been uh, has been put forth by the United States government, namely uh, just recently blocking import of diamonds and stopping the flow of oil and 
variety of different other things. And then you also have the fact that the embassy in Moscow, United States government, has pulled workers out of the embassy, so it has less capacity to be able to do its job over there, as well as the alerts they gave to WNBA players and athletes over there to come back home. And so it makes it extremely difficult. Uh, it's, it's a really terrible situation because we do we really know the, the full extent of the charges versus, versus Brittany Griner? We may not necessarily know that. And it's some of the complicated ways that the legal system works in Russia is not like the United States of America. So it's not an easy pull. Uh, and uh, wishing the best for Brittany, but it's a really tough situation. And she could be she potentially could be used as a pawn in an international game of risk. You know, at a minimum, it would be nice for Americans to be united behind the effort to get her back. I'm seeing a lot of disturbing stuff of people picking the Russian side in this dispute. It's kind of sickening. Uh, people who have picked Russia's side in a dispute hate America. And they're, they're more concerned about protecting some sort of false, false sense of personal identity that's based on um, politics and some of the worst parts of this country's history and, and, and trying to uh, devolve this country to chaos. And I think that it's, uh, it's something that speaks towards um, the people not learning the lesson of the past few years, how precious life is and how it's important for us to work together to, li- to, for, to live in a safe and better world. And people have gone the complete opposite way, learned absolutely nothing. Those people are disgusting. You're anti-American. Put your flag down because you need to stop waving it because you, you, you have no interest in really holding American values that you say you hold. Xavier, what's coming up on Suit Up News and when's the next, uh, next Twitter space? I assume you'll be following up on the uh, Ryan Coogler story. Yeah, we're doing it. We're in post-production for the uh, Suit Up News uh, for Ryan Coogler. It's really good. I, I look forward to releasing it and dropping it this weekend. We'll talk a lot about some of the, 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 the details that have now seems to have shifted and evolved over the course of time as things have come out. Really big story. Uh, re- re- a, lot of, a lot of different things to consider. Definitely wouldn't be uh, Michael Bay would have kind of faced the situation that Ryan Coogler faced, and it's unfortunate. Xavier, have a great weekend, man. We appreciate it. Too. Love you guys. Peace. Coming up, more on Deshaun Watson. If you didn't hear the details, grand jury elects not to move forward with the case, so you would think, unless there's an NFL suspension coming, why would it come now uh, that Deshaun Watson is up for grabs and there'll be a bunch of teams out there that are going to want to give up a pretty good haul to the Texans? Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.